Good day, everyone, and welcome to this Lightbend podcast. I'm Oliver White, Chief Storyteller at Lightbend, and returning to our show today are Kiki Carter, Lead Developer Experience Engineer, and Hugh McKee, Developer Advocate for Aka Platform. In our last podcast, we discussed whether it was worth it to manage Kubernetes yourself and other cloud-native technologies and infrastructure, or to rather use a managed solution. This conversation was a lot of fun, and it naturally led into the topic of what developers actually want out of the technologies they use, and what are the truly important parts of the user experience. So we're going to discuss a little bit more about that today, and we'll also find a way to work in some of the newest offerings from Lightbend, like Aka Cloud Platform and Aka Serverless, and share why we think we're getting things right with those tools. Hugh, Kiki, it's so great to have you back here again. Thanks for having us again, Oliver. Happy yeah, day. it's always fun. Yeah, we have a lot of fun here. So let's jump right into it. Um, I'm going to step back for a second. We live in this in this era of developer product productivity tools proliferation. So you can just pick a pick a startup from from the list, and someone out there is doing. Uh, working on productivity tools for IDEs to continuous integration and automation and cloud marketplaces. So it seems kind of like we're we're searching for the holy grail of developer productivity here. And you know, how much more productive do we need to be? And and what are we still looking to to get out of this? Hugh, maybe you could kick us off. Yeah, it, it's funny because I you know, how much more productive can we be? And, and uh, I, I don't think that's ever going to end. It's one of those things where humans are just never satisfied with, uh, you know, what we have. We always are looking for opportunities to do uh, things better and look at the flaws in, in the current thing and, and try and, you know, we, lo- we like fixing flaws. I think that's just embedded in our DNA. And mm-hmm. that it certainly applies to software development. You know, we've, if anybody's been in this business for a while, you, you're always hearing about this. It's been going on for, for decades, uh, you know, uh, productivity. And um, I think one way to look at it is that we just keep going to higher and higher levels of abstraction that are just more and more powerful. You know, things that we did not too long ago, we can do much, much faster today because of the, the, the different abstractions and tools and capabilities that, that, that we have and it, but we're never, <laughs> never going to be happy because customers will want more. Your business will want more. Your managers will want more. You want more, you know, we want to, we want to do things fast and, and move. Yeah. I mean, it's true. I mean, human beings, we're just naturally insatiable for certain things and especially developers when it comes to how productive we want things to be. Um, but I wonder if there's this drop-off point where it's, you know, you get to the point where if you make a minor improvement, the cost of making that improvement is, is too much. I mean, for us, we may say like, it's not too much, but I, I just wonder if there is some point where we're like, okay, we just saved you one keystroke, but it costs us, you know, X amount of dollars to do that. Was it worth it? Did it result in some type of huge spend on your part because we saved you that? I don't know. Just throwing that out there as a question. Maybe software development has has reached such levels that 
reducing a single keystroke for every developer in the world that they would otherwise hit every two minutes. Um, the, the economies of scale come into play there and, and suddenly we're the, you know, Amazon of keystrokes. <laughs> I mean, at some point, yes, it may be. So Hugh described, um, he was just talking about developer productivity in, in terms of um, uh, getting, uh, leveraging abstractions for the stuff that we don't really need to care that much about, but is still necessary. Maybe we can dig into what developer productivity means or what people say it means or what you think it means and, uh, and, and look at that. Yeah, the, and that one's really interesting. Um, I've been kind of talking about um, that and part of it I think is you know, looking at it just kind of in a binary way that there's how much time do you spend actually cranking out stuff that matters versus how much time do you spend doing other stuff? And that's a really interesting ratio to look at, that simple ratio. And the ratio is you know, typically pretty bad. Uh, but the desire is- so, what, so when you say the ratio, so the ratio you're talking about is how much time does the average developer spend doing something that they would consider a soft to be software development versus doing other things that are not. Uh, and it's even more uh, straightforward is how much time are you spending pumping out features that matter? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's that rate of feature production versus the rate of having to do things like, uh, you know, implement, you know, stand up, uh, databases and you know startup services and uh, learn about this and learn about that and and uh, every all, all the things that that we have to deal with as developers that you're not doing like pure feature development. Mm -hmm. So it's it's, so that's it's what I having mean your that. development realized versus having your development coded. Yeah, because the the driving pressure that developers are under is getting that stuff cranked up. The, your customers want these features. Your business, certainly, you know, the people that are paying you want these features. You know, the, the whole reason for doing this is to draw in more customers and to drive more business. You know, it's that type of thing. So if you're not focused on that, you're doing kind of the, the necessary evil stuff you know, that isn't, uh, you know, like pure, feature development. I, I, and so I, I kind of look at it, maybe just, you know, overly simplistic, but, but I don't know. I've heard other people talk about it as well is, is that, you know, your, your, your managers say, crank out features. I mean, and I, I, a, I, a binary. <laughs> Sorry, Kiki. <laughs> no, that's okay. I, I was going to just add to that. I know that that is really the idea. We have this thing that developers need to be cranking out features, features, features. And a lot of times, um, your managers and other stakeholders don't understand everything that goes into creating a feature. They're like, well, I mean, I just asked you to add a, a field onto a screen that clearly I've looked at, um, you know, CSS.com. And I know that if you just do this, this, and this, you can change the color here. I mean, I, it doesn't take that long. Right. And so, um, we, we have to kind of push against this idea that, that features are free 
or we're going to have to build things that allow them to become more free because otherwise what you end up with is you know people who don't understand that hey in order to do this feature I need these tests and I need this regression and I need this thing stood up and I need that thing stood up and um managers and and stakeholders are like well that's not what I'm paying you for I'm, I'm not paying for that if I have to do more of that then that means I get less features right what are we getting and so there's this this really probably healthy tension between the two are we going to build things that enable managers to continue this idea that features come for free or are we going to tell them that hey features are not free you have to do all of this stuff or is there a third option where you know they know that features are not free but they have to make an investment in something else to so that if they want their developers creating features faster they've got to invest in this whole the other outer architectural needs right um, in order to get those features faster and that's when they need to make the decisions like okay do we benefit from serverless do we benefit from um, hosted or managed databases or data stores or other things where people are taking things off of our shoulders because either way the stuff is not free um, either some stuff is going to go wrong or missing be done worse if you don't believe you need tests or regression or this and that or you're going to move slower or you know you're going to have to invest somewhere in that stuff so I mean, that's the question at hand. It's not one that only developers have a, a stake in. Um, a lot of people should be considering this. Luckily, uh, the the discussion whether whether or not to have tests usually only has to get proven out once before the uh, <laughs> would think before <laughs> the future yeah. is altered. <laughs> people have like short memory spans. They're like. Yeah. Uh, it is, it's so easy to just blame a developer like whoa you guys should have tested that and like do you even give us time to do tests we need to do tests it's like you know, there's always a pressure to deliver to to put it across the finish line and and never until something goes wrong does someone point back again at the developer and say well why wasn't this tested fully I'm like okay what are you kidding me <laughs> so so it sounds like you, both of you have gotten your, your, your fingers on the pulse of at, at least at least the developer pain perspective as this is what we're what we're mainly focused on. Um, what, what are so what, what are developers uh, saying uh, that, that you're hearing loudest? Well, there is um, a recent uh, question that somebody asked that really struck me on Reddit. And it was some developer asking about what do people do to keep up with um, managing the versions of their dependencies. Mm -hmm. And it triggered this huge, really great, I thought, discussion and people going back and forth. And that's, this is one where uh, what, what popped up quite often was the pressure that individual developers were feeling of we're not going to do that because you're I, you know you want me to allow you to spend time doing that versus actually producing some features you know that type of thing was coming up over and over and over again so so ma managing dependencies is is kind of the quintessential 
example of stuff that a developer most likely has to pay attention to, but something that is not valuable to the to the business in terms of uh, innovation or creating new features. Right, and it's that's the the whole binary sim simplistic look at that. And, you know, as you know, you from your business sponsors, your project manager, whoever is driving you, um, you know, through your sprints and everything to get, to get work done, you're always making the decision on all the tasks that you're defining that you, you, you're doing. And I think the industry has gotten really interesting in that we articulate what everybody's doing pretty well. There's, I think there's some nice discipline in the process today that didn't exist in not too long ago. In any case, now it's there and everybody looks at it, what you're proposing that needs to get done and what actually gets done. So it's something like you know, the process is, well, yeah, we need to, you know, have, I got a task here for updating the dependencies and the people look and go, no, no, we got, we got really got to get this stuff done. So we'll, 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 we'll keep that on the backlog. So it's, it falls into technical debt, you know, and when do you actually get to it? So now you've got debt building up because you're making this trade-off decision between, well, like, you know, how much stuff, that really matters can we get done in this sprint versus stuff that needs to get done, but you know, isn't going, isn't contributing to what people, you know, what everybody else wants outside of the development team. That whole dynamic is going on. So we're constantly dancing around, you know, that uh, those pressures. So anything that can uh, reduce the level of effort to do things like you know, as an example, like managing dependencies and other things, you know, anything that we can do that simplifies the whole, you know, developer process um, and, you know, brings developers to where they're, they're just, you know, the flow is really more and more focused on creating features, uh, the better, but that's, uh, it's easy to say, not necessarily easy to do. Do you think that we're, it's getting, you know, we feel like we're taking one step forward and two steps back because, we, um, you know, the problem space is changing or we're getting more outer architecture things that developers need to pay attention to. Because I'm just wondering, um, you know, why is it that we haven't gotten to this point where we can just focus on business logic? We've been saying that for a long time, just focus on the business logic. We, we create a million things for that. But it feels like every time we get to a point where we're like, let's focus on business logic, then some new thing pops up like service mesh or, you know, or like containers or, or cloud stuff. And I mean, it just seems like there's always something more that's popping up. And I don't know if those things just, I don't think they just pop up out of nowhere, but like the problems change, right? We have need for more scale. We need to be more global. Um, all those various things happen, but how are we gonna ever close this gap? How are we ever going to focus only on the developer um, productivity in terms of business logic, so to speak, when there are so many other things that need to be done to, to bring business logic to actually deliver that into the hands of real users? I mean, right now we're talking about scaling on the globe and you know pretty soon we're going to need to scale to mars and the moon and various yeah. places in outer space right i mean yeah. like problems just keep getting bigger and 
And every time we tell a developer like, oh, come on a little further and then we'll take this weight off your shoulder, it feels like something else happens. Well, yeah, it, 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 that's true. But at the same time, you know, I, I, I remember, uh, I remember I was walking through this bookstore a long time ago. I was looking for some computer books. When we, you know, I don't get books anymore. I do. Back when there were books. Yeah, back when there <laughs> were books. And I saw this book and it, the title was Death March. And I, as soon as I saw it, I knew exactly what it was talking about. It was talking about projects, software yeah. projects, right? So at the time, this is, I'm not going to tell you how long ago because it was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, you know, the typical project was the six month year long waterfall project and it was this death march you know mm-hmm. where uh you you know you you went through the whole rigor of let, let's figure out the requirements spend you know a month on that and then we figure out the design spend another month or so on that and then we do the development spend two three months on that then we get into testing we get into deployment and each step is your your um um uh, your muscle memory has been reduced because you haven't done um, you know, requirements for six months or a year. And now you got to do it again. And you haven't done each phase, you know, you haven't done for a long time because there's so much time in between each phase. The result is, and you know, when I look back at that, it's like, man, the business had to wait like six months or a year for features. And we did them all at once, you know, this, these big bang releases. And it was miserable. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and today, you know, we've evolved to daily you know, releases to production type of things. <clears throat> They're little, but there's this much nicer rhythm. And, you know, so in contrast, we are moving, I think, a lot, lot faster than we were during the death march days. But there's been this kind of uh, progression, you know, constant, constant improvement and squeezing things down. But look at it. We're still not happy. <laughs> no, I mean, but I feel like we're moving faster. That's such a great point. You were moving faster, pushing things to reduction sooner. Um, but I think a lot of that is because we've pushed so much on developers. Whereas, like you said, before will be requirements for six months with this person and this person would do that. And I think it's good that we brought things together. So now we're all marching sort of to the same beat. We've got the people with requirements sitting with developers, sitting with the stakeholders, and we're all kind of working very closely together to get things done. And we are moving faster, but I feel like we're putting a lot more pressure. I don't know if it's it's evenly distributed, but I feel like there may be a little bit of lopsided pressure on the developer or engineering side to make things happen as fast as they're happening because you're expecting developers to know a lot about um, things that are outside of what they normally would have done. Like if, if you looked at a job requirement 10 years ago, oh, five years Java experience, maybe EJB or Spring or something like that, like a few things. And now if you look at it, I can guarantee you, if you look at a, you know, even a junior software engineer or just a normal software engineer, it's going to say Java, um, JavaScript, it's going to add a few more languages, it's going to have 10 frameworks, it's going to have, oh, by the way, you need to have something about Kubernetes, you're going to have to know containers, you're going to need to know Docker, you're going to need to know, they'll they'll list like a list a thousand things long in order to to just do your regular development job. And I just feel like it's become a little lopsided on the developer side to know so much about everything end to end from dev to DevOps to prod ops to just 
everything. And I don't feel like that's sustainable. I know that I've done the death march before and the death march was absolutely horrible, horrific before. But I feel like we're just creating a new type of, I don't know, maybe it's like not a death march. Maybe it's a, you know, a slow death trot or something like that. <laughs> we're just yeah. burning out. I mean, I think that we are literally burning developers out with all the stuff that we're asking them to learn and do with this this new way. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's kind of the, the whole DevOps thing in a way that um, before there were different teams that specialized in different parts of the whole entire process and now that's being condensed down to fewer and fewer people mm -hmm. and guess what you know you get to serverless and things get condensed way down but <clears throat> you know but i think part of that's due to the fact that things have, <clears throat> excuse me have gotten some so much more efficient that um and it's rough because it's evolving so fast but i think you know things like being able to uh you know procure runtime environments, stand them up quickly is amazing compared to what it took not too long ago. Absolutely. And then, you know, get everything set up and running and then actually run into production. And then have the developers be responsible for production, you know, the whole DevOps, what the DevOps is supposed to be, you know, um, so that you, you pay for your sins in a way that if you release junk to production, and the junk gives you problems. Guess who gets to experience it firsthand? Gets who gets the call. Um, but sometimes you know. it's not even your fault that junk got released. Sometimes well, yeah, true. Release things. And then also there's like, hey, this thing worked on my machine, and now yeah, I well, put it into production, and it's like it's not a like environment. It's just a really difficult pressure to put on people. I feel like um, the goal of serverless and what serverless should be doing is to help people to move to help that transition from my laptop into production to really smooth out that transition so that there are fewer and fewer surprises on the other side of that. Yeah, and that started with containers too, right? That was- uh, Oh yeah, that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that was a whole new thing for us to learn and you know, and we're still dealing with it and, uh, and so yeah. on. But, but it is interesting how, uh, you're right, that, that uh, developers are experiencing more of the whole life cycle in a way I mm -hmm. guess and responsible for it yeah the versus the past and and I do think it's it's due to the compression in the complexity of doing these things but it's it's a perceived compre com compression and complexity though in my opinion because I feel like you know we give this idea because of these hello worlds that we do where hey look you know so even a salesperson goes in and says, hey, you're on AWS and you're in production right now. And look, it's like five minutes and blah, blah, blah. And so you sell that idea and then your developers are left with that um, expectation that, hey, I the person came in here and showed me this only takes five minutes. So what's, what's this uh, two week thing that you're saying you need two weeks in order to do? It clearly is a five minute job, right? And what I'm saying is we need to bring those two things a little bit more closely together. So um, on the serverless side, if there is, if you are showing a five minute to production um, demo, it should really be production. Like don't say like, oh, it's five minutes production with this list of caveats where this and this and this and this and this. And, this. and, and by the way, you need to go tweak this later. You need to figure out that. I mean, because it's all those little details are the things that expand the time to get things, you know, 
rightly in the production. Yeah. And so like, that's one of the reasons I kind of like um, Aka Serverless over everything else. Not kind of like, I really like it over a lot of other things because some of that stuff is really, you know, it's really taken care of because, hey, when we say that this thing is put into an environment that can be a prod, that is a prod-like environment, it really is. Like you've got your data base take care of, you got your, um, you know, you've got a lot of the other outer architectural things taken care of, your containers, your scaling, everything, you know, you just put your code out there your container, whatever you have, and boom, like it literally is ready to take traffic. You can open it up, um, take traffic. It's there. It's ready. Right. There are not a, a ton of caveats there. And so, I mean, I'm pretty sure there are things that you may need to do in the future. And you know, I mean, obviously this thing is still in, in beta, so we're learning as we go, but the goal, and I feel like where we're heading there and what we've done is to try to close this this gap between um what people are selling as quick to prod and what actually happens from a developer's keyboards to production mm. i don't know if that makes sense oh yeah and and that is i think um one of the big differences especially with serverless in general is that even with um you know uh, kubernetes environment there's uh considerations there you know you know, how much can the, the actual Kubernetes cluster itself scale to handle going from no load to production load, you know, whatever that might be, which could be, you know, pretty significant depending on the application. Mm -hmm. And you've got to deal with the consequences of, you know, introducing that new production activity in, right. in that kind of environment. So the levers and knobs and dials and, and so on that you have to deal with even in a Kubernetes environment um, is still, uh, you know, they're, they're still there and they're, but they're getting to be le less levers and knobs and buttons to deal with when you look at the different uh, serverless offerings uh, by, by a big factor, which is huge. And th that's what, I, I forget if I mentioned it in the last time we talked, but you know, I kind of look at the world as we're in three epochs. There's the, the bare metal and virtual machine epoch, there's the container and Kubernetes epoch, and then there's the serverless epoch. Mm -hmm. And um, you, you, I mean, just looking at those three from a developer productivity standpoint, there's massive uh, transitions that occur between those three different uh, fundamental pro, you know, computing environments. Uh, each one significantly better than the last. Uh, as far as, especially for, for developer productivity. Mm -hmm. But uh, at the same time, we're, we're opening up a can of, of new worms uh, in terms of what, what we need to think about that we didn't have to think about uh, before. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, a little bit about the difference between, let's say pre-serverless and serverless um and what that means for how fast we can build new features and so on um where do, where do well maybe i'll just open kiki maybe you can kick us off um where do you see the most valuable time being saved with uh a serverless approach and and we can talk about aka serverless here as well i'm sure mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, it's kind of what I was saying a little bit earlier. Uh, a lot of the value there in serverless is having the what we call the outer architectural concerns taken care of for you. So um, everything between me writing code on my keyboard, packaging it up and hosting it somewhere, as in or publishing that code somewhere and, and what all happens behind the scenes to, to making that code available to people who need to use it or systems that may need to use it in users. And so whether that is how the code lands on machines, it's packaged up into pods or container or, um, out onto nodes and where it lives and how they communicate with each other, if they need to communicate with each other, how they communicate to the outside world, how they um, how your applications manage and store state, how your applications deal with state that's not um, in memory state. Um, all of the things that you need to do in order to actually serve up business logic, like business logic doesn't just live in the ether. I know that um, different things like function as a service or lambdas may have you to imagine that business logic just lives there in the ether on its own. And, and it doesn't, it doesn't exist without state. It doesn't exist on its own. It, it really runs on a lot of stuff. And and even function as a service does a lot behind the scenes, but when you're looking at something that's beyond just a function, there is so much going on behind the scenes that that serverless can and should take care of for you that helps, you know, the, the, the developer and brings you out of this pre-serverless phase where you can actually be productive without you know, this extensive pressure. So I feel like, like you said, we've been able to be super productive in this new era, um, but we've had to do it at a cost that I feel like has been unfairly burdened by developers themselves. And so if we wanna spread that cost out and, and really lift up some of the burden from the developers, then that's how, that's where I feel serverless jumps in to kind of um, level out or create a, a better balance on, on where that burden lies and to allow developers to really be productive without being productive by doing everything. So what, what we mean by, by burden is, is something like the, the productivity that developers are being measured by is not what they're able to spend the majority of their time, in fact, uh, working on. And yeah. a lot of it is, is dealing with dependencies, for example, and setting right. up scaffolding and so on. Yes, even those type of things like setting up scaffolding or, or um, working with trying to uh, do boilerplate code, even stuff to that level. I mean, those are the things that, you don't really, you don't see the value yet for when you're building a feature, but they're required in order to even get to the valuable part of the feature where, where your stakeholders may see value. And so to, to really try to that gap into learning from the developers from, from writing code, like I said, boilerplate code, all the way to deploying and putting things out in production, um, 
the more we can move some of that stuff away from the developers in a nice in a nice way with with serverless offerings i think it's going to be better for your business and not just better for your business in terms of the features because the business will say well we're squeezing those features out of developers anyway and um we'll continue to do that until until everyone's gone right but until the pitchforks come out right you know but we'll, let's see what we can do to avoid the pitchforks like let's see what we can do to continue to get features but also have a happy team and have happy developers and and have people who can can truly say that we take delight in what we do and what we're delivering and in bringing about all the features that we're able to to give our stakeholders and end users in our communities. Yeah, the definitely right because you know as an example, uh, like serverless data, it, it is a kind of kind of new serverless code has been you know, around since like you know, since when lambdas came out around was it two thousand fourteen or something like that. But now we're getting you know, we're starting to see serverless data. And you know, there's serverless databases, and then with Aka Serverless, there's um, there's just a way that you handle persisting data, but it's very code centric in a way, right? That that there's no setting up uh, you know, databases and worrying about connections and on and on and on, drama, right. drama, drama, drama going away. <laughs> right. Uh, but even even more subtle, I think, and I I often bring this up in, in when I'm talking about microservices and so on that. The, the, the whole thing of loose coupling with data and loose coupling of your architecture. And, and with the data example, I use the, the situation where you say you have a monolithic database, which is so common, it's getting better, but it's still so common. Let's say, you know, Kiki, you and I are working on a part of the system, like a, a microservice, and we want to change the schema. We got to find everybody that that's going to impact, and we got to talk right. to them. Then we got to schedule, and we on and on, right? Drama, drama, drama. We're not cranking out <laughs> features at all doing that. Right. Finally, we get buy-in and an agreement, and when we're going to do the, you know, implement this, and when we're going to release it, and all that kind of stuff, and we get it released. You change it with serverless, where you have serverless data, and each service owns its own schema and its own data. If you or I want to change, or you know, our data. Nobody cares. It's because it's part of the you know the fundamental approach to the way we handle data. Right. That's huge, right? I mean, think of the contrast and the productivity between you know the ways we have been doing it to, to these new ways. These are examples of now I'm spending so much less time on all that drama and just getting something done and boom, okay, next feature. What do you want? You know, what do you want? Give me a feature. I can take those features and crank them out. You know, it's it's that's the dynamic that's changing here. But that's that you know, it's kind of this next big evolutionary jump from even the container Kubernetes world into the serverless world that, that mm -hmm. we're seeing and as it affects productivity. Yeah, I mean, I think the the new serverless world is um, able to handle use cases that are way more complex than the original use cases that we were handling this with function as a service. So, you know, be, before you went with, hey, I'm going to host this function and someone could call this function and that function maybe reached out to another service or a data store or database. And it does some simple stateless type of thing, stateless in, in air quotes there. 
but now you're able to handle some pretty um, complex use cases with the new service offerings that we have out um, like people like I guess Dapper or um, Aka Serverless and others who are in this space and we're making it where hey serverless application really means your true um, enterprise scale heavy applications not um, not your toy functions and I don't say that to, to be derogatory. Toy functions are, are a lot of fun. Who doesn't like that? But um, sometimes you just need more. And to be able to offer people more, I think it's, it's going to help the entire development community as well as uh, stakeholders. All right. Well, uh, any final points either, either one of you would like to mention before we end for today? I want to know what people think in the comments. I mean, I, I can't wait to, you know, I'd love to interact with other people. Like, hey, what do you think about this? What do you feel that developers will find delight in? Uh, do you feel like there are burdens on your shoulder that you'd like lifted? I, I know as a developer myself, or, and even when I was um, working in the enterprise doing development, like just being able to have some of those things that I, that aren't my responsibility. Like I care to know about it and it's interesting to me and I don't wanna be like, oh, it's a black box, but I don't feel like the, the burden of responsibility should fall on my shoulders where if you know, there's a networking issue in our service mesh, then um, it's not just the SRE, it's me as well who's on the line. Like, hey, did you check that out before you did blah, 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 blah. And like having that kind of pressure lifted off just feels like, it will make things a lot more delightful in my opinion, but I'd love to hear what other people have to say about that. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> One thing that maybe for a future discussion, I was thinking recently, I, I don't, I forget how long ago, but I, I switched um, how I code, you know, from uh, to VS code. And that is a, was a really interesting transition. It's a, and it's a, it really uh, an example, I think of, um, some of the major evolutionary things that are happening in the developer space, the ecosystem around uh, VS Code, these extensions and everything is just absolutely amazing. Um, it, it's a phenomenon, I think. <laughs> I know, I mean, our tools are, and languages are, we, we, we're very serious about those personally at each of us as a developer, but um, I try not to, uh, uh, not keep up, I guess, in a way, and this one is, you know, it's a whole nother area that I think significantly impacts things like uh, develop, de developer productivity but on a much more intimate level. Yeah, good point. Good point. And I note that uh, not many of us at Lightbend use VS Code and there's actually an Aka serverless plugin for VS Code. Is that yep, correct? Yep, yep. Yeah, it is. Yep. It's pretty cool. nifty too. So if you're a VS Code user and you'd like to check out Aka Serverless, you can look it up in the plugin section there. And uh, well, Kiki and Hugh, it's it's always great to, to have these conversations. I'm glad we can share them with uh, others as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, I look forward to our next chat. And wow. for the rest of you listening, Google search Aka Serverless and check it out. Let us know what you think. All right, well, that's all. Talk to you later. Thanks, Thanks. Oliver.